Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Hi, I'm Matt Van Cleve, one of the pastors at Blue Oaks. Uh, This is the last week of our series, Undivided. Uh, This series was designed to give us hope that in the midst of an election where there's division in our country, we can be undivided as a church. It's been about how we can give peace and compassion and love to the people around us, even though we disagree politically. And today we look at the second half of learning how to love the difficult people in our lives. If we're going to live at peace with one another, undivided, we have to learn how to love difficult people. I want to start with this question. What drains you? What depletes your energy? Like what causes your batteries to need to be recharged? I'm sure you could come up with a list of answers, uh, worry, lack of sleep, household tasks, uh, bills to get paid, laundry to be done, work pressures, uh, pace of life issues, politics. But my guess is the number one thing that drains you most is people. Difficult, demanding interactions with people is the single most draining aspect of life for the vast majority of the human race. Do you have a hard to please boss? Uh, Do you have cranky coworkers? Uh, Do you have disagreeable family members? Dealing with difficult people is the single most draining task you and I can face. And I think the ultimate challenge in living an undivided life is the relational challenge. And so I want to talk about how to love these people so that we can live this undivided life we've been talking about, one where love and justice and peace reign. And what I want to do now is walk through two more categories of difficult people. We talked about two last week, and we'll talk about two more this week. And while we look at these categories, I want to ask you to think, do you have anyone that fits this category in your life? And how can you handle dealing with them? All right, the first difficult person I want to talk about is one that's called the steamroller. A steamroller is characterized by insensitivity. Uh, Not only does this person step on toes and hurt feelings and damage relationships, but often they don't even have a clue what it is that they're doing. Steamrollers generally have two primary needs. Uh, They have a deep need to be right, and they have a deep need to be in control. So if someone disagrees with them, uh, that person can become an opponent that they need need to crush, uh, that they need to kind of get out of the way. The steamroller is generally stubborn, uh, independent, and oriented towards power. And often it takes something quite dramatic to get through to a steamroller because they can be very thick-skinned. Uh, I'll tell you my favorite story about a steamroller. A pilot tells this story about something that actually happened on an airplane that he was flying. 
Uh, this was a flight to Florida and a steamroller type guy was on this flight. Uh, the steamroller got to the gate and had to stand behind an elderly couple who was moving very slowly. Uh, he let everyone at the gate area know he didn't appreciate at all having to stand behind these two old people because they were slowing him down and he was in a hurry. He had things to do. When he went to take his seat in the first class cabin, this couple was right in front of him in the aisle. They were going to be in the seats directly behind him. And for him, it took them too long to put things in the overhead bin. And so he said loudly enough for everyone in the first, first class cabin to hear, people this old, moving this slow, have no business flying on a plane. Later, the flight attendant came to bring him his food and it was not satisfactory. And so he sent it back, twice, a meal on an airplane. Uh, he pressed the button on his seat and jerked back as hard as he could uh, so hard that the tray of food behind him fell off the tray and covered the elderly man who was sitting behind him. The flight attendant came up very apologetically to this elderly man asking if she could help clean him up. And then the man told her his story. He and his wife were on this plane celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And it was the first time they had ever flown in their lives. Uh, they had saved up for years for this particular trip. They were going to Florida to celebrate 50 years of marriage. I'd never been on a trip like this before. And they were hooked up with a steamroller. Uh, the flight attendant was very apologetic. Uh, she said, could I at least bring you a bottle of champagne by way of apologizing? And he said, okay, and so she did. And with everyone in the cabin watching, he stood up, popped open the bottle, and poured it over the head of the guy sitting in front of him. Uh, sometimes it takes a lot to get the attention of a steamroller. Now you may have a steamroller in your life who hurts people unintentionally. Sometimes that happens. And if you pull them aside and explain, you really hurt me or someone else, they may feel terribly apologetic and want to set things right. But sometimes there are steamrollers who hurt people, who trash relationships, and they don't even care. In Jesus' day, they were, there were religious leaders who were spiritual steamrollers. They would bully people and damage people, and they didn't even care. And in those cases, Jesus drew very clear boundaries. Jesus was actually toughest on those spiritual steamrollers. Uh, he said certain behaviors would just not be tolerated. And it may be that you need to do the same thing with some steamrollers in your life. Because allowing someone to deliberately go on bullying you or another person is not an act of love. And it may require wise confrontation. Uh, let me give you a few words from scripture that you may need to take with you this week. Sometimes God would say to some particular person, uh, like Moses, that he would have to take on a steamroller called Pharaoh or David, was gonna to have to take on a steamroller called Goliath. And then God would say something like this, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For the Lord your God is with you. Some of you need to live with those words this week. You're gonna face a moment 
that's going to require some courage. Uh, you're going to enter into an encounter or a meeting or uh, being on a Zoom call or sitting around the table where you're experiencing fear because of another person that's there. And God doesn't call any of us. He doesn't call any of his people to live in that kind of fear. And so God says to you and me, be strong and courageous for the Lord your God is with you. Be strong and courageous for God is with us. Be strong and courageous for God is with us. As we head towards Christmas, it's the season of year when we celebrate that knowledge, that God's with us through the birth of his son. Isaiah, a prophet in the Old Testament, 750 years before the birth of Jesus, 750 years before the birth of Jesus, said that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Sometimes we miss the true meaning of Christmas in the craziness of the season, you know, sorting out who we're gonna buy presents for, how much money we're gonna spend, how much time we're gonna invest in the whole process of shopping and wrapping. What if, what if we could look back at the 2020 Christmas season with no regrets about how we spent our time and resources? We believe there's wisdom available that helps remind us of the importance of Jesus and his birth and can help us get Christmas right. Uh, starting December 6th, uh, we're starting a new series called Getting Christmas Right and hope that you'll join us. We're gonna rejoin Matt as we look at one last difficult personality and how we can respond in love. All right, another profile of a difficult person is someone who might be called the sponge. A sponge is generally an emotionally needy person. Uh, they're often very nice people. Uh, they may do lots of things for you, but you find yourself wanting to hold this person at a distance. Uh, you may not even know why at first. You may feel kind of guilty about that. But it's because underneath, a sponge is quite clingy. Uh, they're often in crisis. And if you don't give them what they want, uh, they usually will not make over demands. Uh, they're not that aggressive. They'll just find ways, often quite subtle or sneaky ways, to make you feel guilty for not giving them what they want. They're masters at using guilt to get what they want. They constantly test the relationship to make sure uh, you're close to them. A normal relationship have like ebbs and flows. That's just part of a healthy relationship. But to a sponge, any distance triggers fear. And so if you don't sit together at some social event or talk on the phone on a regular enough basis, or if you develop a new friendship, a sponge will find that very threatening. These people are often extremely sensitive. Any observation that has a mild constructive criticism attached to it can feel deeply wounding and even disloyal to them. So you find yourselves in this kind of relationship just walking on eggshells. Uh, you've always gotta be so careful about what you say. A question, what happens when an extremely sensitive sponge meets up with a hard-charging steamroller. They get married, <laughs> and that can be scary. You see, the danger with the sponge is this. Your experience with them is often feelings of guilt, and therefore you go too long without addressing the problems 
until finally you either blow up in anger or just run away. And Paul says this. This is an amazing statement about maturity. This is what he says. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love. It's one of the great tests of maturity in our world. There's a real good chance if you have a sponge in your life that the time is going to come, uh, maybe real soon, when you need to speak the truth. You need to do it in love. Uh, you need to do it with as much wisdom and discernment as you can muster up, but don't withhold truth from that person. Not just for your sake, but for their sake. Because if you're experiencing them in this way uh, that makes you want to distance yourself from them, probably lots of other people experience them in the same way. And if someone doesn't love them enough to tell them the truth, how are they ever gonna know? How are they gonna change? Now, maybe they won't change. Their response is up to them. Your job and my job is just to speak the truth in love. Sometimes you need to say no. Uh, sometimes you need to set boundaries, set them. Speak the truth in love. Well, those are two more of the most common types of difficult relationships. And you have some of these people in your life. And so what I wanna do now is walk through a few gifts that we need to give to all people, especially the difficult people in our lives. Uh, we talked about giving the gift of prayer last week. And today I wanna give you three real basic thoughts to keep in mind that kind of flow right out of the writers of scripture on how to deal with these life-draining or difficult people. And the first one is real simple, but it might be the hardest one of all. And that is be patient. Start with patience. In Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Patience is a major theme with the writers of scripture. Uh, Paul writes maybe the greatest words ever written about love in 1 Corinthians. He said, love is patient, love is kind. In Galatians, he lists patience as one of the fruit of the spirit. If God is present in your life, one of the ways that will be manifested is you'll grow in patience. This is huge for living with the kind of peace that we've been talking about in this series because we live in the most impatient society in the history of the human race. It's like a lost virtue in our day. Do you wrestle with a need for patience? Maybe you're thinking, you know, I don't need patience. You know, I've got that one down. I'm ready to move on to the next one. Don't waste my time. We live in a highly impatient world. I learned something interesting about the word patience. The Hebrew meaning of the term patience originally meant long in the nose. It's taken from the fact that when someone gets impatient or real frustrated or angry, their nostrils tend to flare out. Have you ever noticed that? When someone get, gets mad, their nostrils flare out. And so in the Hebrew language, they would describe someone who didn't respond in anger by saying they're long in the nose. It was a patient person who didn't give in to frustration. There are a number of books written on the loss of civility in our day. Uh, in one of them, I heard a story about a woman whose car broke down in traffic 
and she doesn't know how to fix it, but she gets out of a car and she goes around and kind of checks under the hood. And of course, she can't figure out what the problem is. And to make matters worse, there's a guy in the car behind her who can't pull out around her. And so he just lays on the horn. I mean, he's just honking the horn the whole time that she's under the hood. And finally, she goes back to his car, leans against the window and says to him, I don't know how to take care of my car, but if you'll go up and fix my car, I'd be glad to stay here at yours and honk the horn for you. And that's just kind of the world we live in. The default mode of the human race is impatience and frustration. Now, when the writers of scripture talk about the importance of patience, uh, of course, they're not saying that you just tolerate any behavior, no matter how inappropriate or destructive or damaging. There are many times when another person's behavior needs to be confronted courageously and in love. But the general teaching of scripture is that we ought to adopt a posture of patience and compassion and kindness and gentleness. And so I wanna invite you when you come up to those kinds of situations, if you're tempted to just kind of lose it, ask yourself the question, how might I respond if I were in this person's place? If I had this person's job, if I were in this person's shoes, if I had to experience the life hurt that this person has, how would I handle it? Then before you respond, before you just kind of let it fly, Take a deep breath and simply repeat these words to yourself that come from scripture. Be patient. You're gonna need it this week. You're gonna deal with a salesperson or someone at work or a coworker who is gonna make a mistake and one of your family members is gonna do something that just irritates you. You're gonna hear that voice of a life draining person before you respond. Just pause for a moment and be patient. It is a known fact that people don't always get along, but over the past years of college, I have finally realized why. It's not that people want to be mean, it's that there's always something bigger underlying the frustrations. I have a somewhat conflict-prone group of friends at school, and although we all really do love each other, we definitely don't always get along. And I've realized that it's because everyone always expects more, We go about our day just believing that people should be understanding and graceful and kind all at the same time, but that is just not the reality. People will disappoint over and over again, and it's tiring. We just want everyone to get along, but then we aren't willing to put in our part. And it all starts with patience. Every time my my friend makes me upset, my first instinct is to scream, to demand that I am treated better, to cry and ignore them, to end the friendship based on a few words. And it's hard to not think that way because obviously we all deserve to be treated with kindness. But the world is broken and sometimes that just doesn't happen. This used to make me really upset, but over the past years, I've come to the realization that no one owes me anything. It sounds bad. Of course, I know that I deserve love and respect, but nobody really owes me anything. Oftentimes, we set these sky-high expectations for our friends and family, but everyone is always preoccupied. We are all inherently selfish, and I know that I am inherently selfish. It's something that I fight with constantly, but it's also a truth that I must learn to live with. Knowing this has helped me to find the true meaning of patience with others. I used to walk around with grudge after grudge, staying angry at people that used to be some of my best friends, forgetting about all the good times because of that one angry conversation. 
But if God can forgive me for every single awful thing I've done, then I should be able to forgive my friends for saying a few unkind words in the heat of a conflict. I'm not saying that you should continue to be treated poorly. Obviously, we all deserve respect. However, we all must continue to forgive. And it's hard, no doubt, sometimes close to impossible. But the more we practice understanding the reasons behind others' words and actions, we will come to see that often there is more going on behind the scenes than we originally think. There was always an underlying insecurity or a sore spot that something in this conflict hit on. And knowing that there is more behind hurtful things said allows me to forgive more freely and give grace that aims to coincide with the grace that God gives me daily. And most importantly, it allows me to love others unconditionally, just as God loves me. All right, so the starting point is be patient. Uh, the second thing, and this is really hard in dealing with difficult or life-draining people, let go of your need to change the other person. Again, this flows out of scripture. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. How did Jesus accept the human race? Unconditionally. He just comes to us with open arms. I know all about you. I know how draining and difficult you can be. I know the foolish things that you've said, the destructive things that you've done, the character flaws, the sin, the guilt. Jesus just accepts us with open arms and we receive unconditional love. Paul says, just as he's done that for you, you do that for each other. Are you an accepting person? Can you let go of your obsession with fixing people? Les Parrott told about a kitchen encounter that he had with his wife. He said, we were getting breakfast ready and she was cutting bananas. I realized she was doing it the wrong way. As most of you will know, if you cut bananas with an upward motion, then each new slice forces the old slice down off the banana so it falls neatly into the cereal bowl as God intended it to do. But if you cut down, the old chunk just kind of slides off to the side. You can end up with a chain of four or five round banana chunks side by side on the knife. You end up with bananas all over the place. It's just chaos. The Bible is very clear about this. I realize that if this goes on unchecked, there's a good chance that our children will grow up to cut bananas the wrong way. There will be a fruit slicing dysfunction in our family for generations maybe. So I tried to correct her. I tried in love to reprove her. You think she'd appreciate it? She'd go out and buy bananas just to slice them up even when we didn't need them just to be independent about it. I realized this woman is probably gonna go to her grave cutting bananas the wrong way, in a wrong, unbiblical way. But I'm not gonna leave her. I'm just gonna accept her even though she doesn't cut bananas the right way. I'm just gonna love her. I'm gonna let go of my need to make sure she cuts bananas the right way. And here's the deal. You have someone in your life who cuts bananas the wrong way. Maybe they talk too much. Maybe they don't express affection the way that you want them to. Maybe they have some kind of irritating habits. Uh, maybe they've got character flaws. Maybe they've made complaining into an art form. Maybe they just whine all the time. Maybe they're a martyr. Maybe they try to manipulate you. Maybe they try to control you. And you're exhausted because you've taken it on as your personal calling 
to fix them, you need to give it up. It's not your job to fix them. Give up the need to change people that you know aren't right. All right, so number one is to be patient. Number two is give up the need to change people, accept one another. The third thing, and this will change you if you're open to it, in dealing with life draining or difficult people, learn to see beyond the difficulty. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. That is, do not assign someone to a permanent category where you're writing them off as a person in contempt so you don't have to love or care for them anymore. Do not judge or you too will be judged. You'll live in the same category of judgment because that's the only category you'll understand. Learn to see more in a person than simply the fact that they're difficult. Uh, my temptation, and I'm guilty of this far too often, is to see life-draining people solely as this needy person or this irritating person. And when I do that, I dehumanize them. I write them off. And I don't know how else to say this, but that's sin. That's a violation of love. All I see is the difficulty, and I'm passing judgment. I desperately need, and you may as well, uh, I need to learn to see this person as more than just an irritation to me. This is a real person, flawed maybe, hard for me to love perhaps, but someone that God loves. And if I can learn to see more than just the difficulty in another person, it can make a world of a difference. A teacher was having trouble liking a particular child in her class. Um, he was just one of those boys who sat in a slouched position, you know, kind of a dull look on his face, face like mouth, mouth hung open, his eyes half glazed. When she spoke to him, uh, he always answered in grunts and groans. Uh, he never dressed right. He was just an unattractive boy. And whenever she marked Teddy's papers, she would always let her ugliness expose itself. Uh, she enjoyed putting X's next to the wrong answers. But she should have known better. Uh, she should have known better because teachers have records. And she had records on Teddy. First grade, Teddy is a good boy and shows promise of working attitude, but poor home situation. Second grade, Teddy is a good boy. He does what he's told, but he's too serious. His mother is terminally ill. Third grade, Teddy is falling behind in his work. He's becoming withdrawn. His mother died this year. His father shows no interest. Fourth grade, Teddy is hopelessly behind. His father left home. He lives with his aunt. He's deeply troubled and in need of professional help. She had records. Christmas came and all the boys and girls brought their presents and piled them on her desk. They were all in brightly colored paper, except for Teddy's present. His was wrapped in brown paper and scotch tape, and on it scribbled in crayon were the words, for Miss Thompson, from Teddy. And when she tore open the paper, out fell a rhinestone bracelet, a gaudy thing with half the stones missing, and a bottle of cheap perfume that was almost all used up. The other children began to giggle, but she had enough sense to snap on the bracelet and put some of the perfume on her wrist. And holding it up for all the other kids to smell, she said, isn't it lovely? And they all kind of took her advice and agreed. 
And at the end of the day, when all the other kids had gone, Teddy lingered behind and said, Miss Thompson, all day you smelled just like my mother and her bracelet looks really nice on you too. I'm glad you like my presence. And when he left, she got down on her knees and she cried and she begged God to have mercy on her. And the next day when the boys and girls came to school, uh, she was a new teacher. She didn't just see little boys and little girls, she looked at children and in their faces, she saw Jesus. She tutored children, particularly slow children and particularly Teddy. And by the end of that semester, he had caught up with a lot of the other boys and girls. He was even ahead of some of them. And she didn't hear from Teddy after that for a long time until she got this note. Dear Miss Thompson, I want you to be the first to know I'm graduating from high school and I'm second in my class. Love, Teddy Stoller. Four years later, another note. Dear Miss Thompson, I want you to be the first to know I'm graduating first in my class. Uh, the university hasn't been easy, but I liked it. Love, Teddy Stoller. Four years later, another note. Dear Miss Thompson, I want you to be the first to know that as of today, I am Theodore J. Stoller, MD. I'm gonna be married in July. And I want you to come and I want you to sit where my mother would have sat because you're the only family I ever had. And she went because she deserved to sit where the mother would have sat. And the irony of this story is that today, the Stoller family is the one family Miss Thompson has. A woman who knew that mercy was responding to the needs of people in whom she could see Jesus. At first, all he was was just a disruptive influence on the class, just a drain, difficult kid. And then he became so much more, a real person with a crushing hurt and a broken heart. And she saw underneath the difficulty and the drain to a little boy without a mother, and she loved him. You have a difficult person in your world. And you're tempted to think a difficult person is all they'll ever be. But that's not true. So don't give up on them. Don't give up. Why? Because they're going to change? No. Maybe they will change. Maybe they'll never change. Hopefully they will, but you never know. The reason you don't give up on them, the writers of scripture say, is because God never gives up on you. God forgives you. God believes in you. God saw the potential that he created in you. God has not given up on you. And God has not given up on the difficult people in your life either. So don't you give up on them. You have life draining people in your life. Everyone does. Learn to be patient. Learn to give up your obsession with trying to fix them or change them and see beyond the difficulty. Don't give up. All right, let me pray for you. God, I pray that as we go throughout our week that we would see the difficult people in our lives the way that you see them. They're your creation. You love them unconditionally. You see the potential in them. Help us to be patient with them. Help us to see beyond the difficulty and help us to give up um, the need to change people in our lives. And God, I pray that this would just free us from this burden that we feel we carry when it comes to difficult people. I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to work in our hearts and change us, help us to be more like you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. 
Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.45, 10, and 11.15. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.